0: Shield and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. The Borg are an amalgam of cybernetically enhanced humanoid drones of multiple species, organized as an interconnected collective with a hive mind inhabiting a vast region of space. They operate towards one single-minded purpose to add the biological and technological distinctiveness of other species to their own in the pursuit of perfection. They are the adversary of autonomy, the definition of slavery. They are the juggernauts of an infinite number of quadrants and parallel dimensions, including the mirror universe. the mirror universe has never been so treacherous.
1: Hello and welcome to the Ready Room, the Treks and Sci-Fi Microcast. I'm Kenny and I play Captain Nathan Quinn and Lieutenant Commander Nicholas Took. I am once again going solo on this podcast, as both Rick and Jen are both busy during the holidays. So for this week's The Ready Room, we have five RPG readings. There might not be many readings, but a lot has happened within those five readings. So we hope you enjoy this week's RPG. We're the Borg. Life as you know it is over. You have entered our RPG space. You will adapt to the story so far. For our first post this week, we have a joint post done by Jen and JustX, and it'll be read by
0: Jen. Savril sat across from Captain Quinn within the ready room. Her golden, tarot-sick eyes studied him as she began her briefing. His face and clothing were smudged with a substance she could only assume was soot. The Borg bodysuit Nathan wore was pitted with chemical burns and his red-rimmed eyes were bloodshot. The captain was obviously physically exhausted, but his demeanor told Savril he was also mentally fatigued. She determined that a quick status report was in his best interest, and quickly briefed him on the events that led up to their current situation. She began by telling him of the measures that were taken to rescue the away team runabouts from the Spheres' attack, beaming them directly into the shuttle bays had been their only option. Then, she outlined the events that led up to the Borg intrusion aboard Arabella the damage that they sustained, and finally the actions they took to rid the ship of the drones. Then she yielded the floor to Lieutenant Commander James, allowing the second officer to brief the captain on the progress of repairs and the action taken to cure the infected crew. Quinn listened without a single interruption, and when Eric was finished, Nathan nodded to them both and rubbed his eyes wearily. What would cause them to halt their attack? Savril folded her hands before her. The Sphere has taken a defensive position before the Spatial Anomaly. The motive is unknown. We also had unknown numbers of crew that were abducted in their initial attack, Eric added to the conversation. I don't see that as why they're here, but the fact that they are might give us some time to mount a rescue. We have some experience dealing with the Borg, if you don't mind another opinion. It would have been easier to force her presence, but she had no intention of disrespecting her parents. Besides. The sooner the meeting ended, the sooner she could continue conversations with her family. Quinn turned his tired eyes to the cooperative queen. He wasn't extremely pleased that she had joined their briefing, but the fact remained that she had honored her promise to return him to his ship, and her knowledge of the rift was potentially beneficial. "'Continue,' said the captain, in a tone that denoted the slightest hint of annoyance. "'They have a rift to another universe at their fingertips.' A universe that contains Borg that are far more deadly than the variety here. We believe that they might be attempting to acquire better technology for conversations for a multidimensional alliance, Siren said in a slightly seductive tone. If we were in your situation, we would destroy them before they could upset the balance of power in this universe. Your vessel is already taxed beyond the limits of its medical personnel to reverse the infection of the crew members here. Those that you have lost to the Borg are more than likely already part of the Hive Mind. Trying to recover them would bring more enemies onto a ship that would not be able to contain them.
1: Next up, we have a post done by Wraith1701
2: and will be read by Billy Bob. Lieutenant Commander Katan stared at his reflection and smiled. Amid the chaos of fighting off the Borg invaders and rounding up infected crew members, he had managed to squeeze in an appointment with Dr. Peterson. With his sick alterations reversed... He was back to his old self, scar and all. Catan nodded at his reflection in approval. Not bad, he said with a smile. Katan glanced at his chrono, then stood and exited his office. Within moments, he arrived at the tactical department's primary training room. Lieutenant Otak stood outside the doorway, a proud grin plastered on his face. Right on time, sir. You're going to love this. So, I finally got a peek at your pet project? Catan replied. With a smooth and efficient whoosh, the door to the spacious training area whispered open, and Otak gestured for the chief tactical officer to step inside. Katan entered the room, then froze in his tracks. Facing him was a titanic, humanoid form forged of what appeared to be gray duranium alloy. The metallic golem stood almost three meters tall, its domed head nearly reaching the ceiling. Katan shook his head in disbelief. The thing looked like a cross between a medieval suit of armor, a walking tank, and a mechanized gorilla. Sprouting from its oversized forearms were what looked like a pair of Type Three phaser emitters. "'What the hell is it?' he asked. "'A robot?' "'Not exactly,' Otak answered. The lieutenant approached the still machine, then placed his palm on a panel mounted in the thing's lower torso. With a mechanical whirr, the machine hummed to life, its legs ratcheting down to bring it into a kneeling position. As its legs came in contact with the deck, its chest split, then swung open revealing a cramped cavity dominated by a pilot's chair and a bewildering array of controls and interface panels. The thing's upper thigh split open as well, revealing a foot pedal and a series of straps contained within each. "'Commander Katan, meet the Mako Assault Armor, Mark I,' Otak said. "'It's a suit of combat armor that is sort of worn or piloted by a security officer. I've been toying with the concept for a while now, and our troubles with the Borg sort of gelled the idea for me.'" As Katan stared in bemused silence, Otak offered a tentative smile. "'Not to belittle our hand-to-hand training regimen, but you have to admit, sir, there are some instances in which steel and alloy are superior to flesh and bone. Something like this could come in handy on rescue and retrieval missions.' "'Interesting,' Katan said, glancing meaningfully at the myriad control surfaces. "'How does it work?' "'It really is easier than it looks,' Otak said. "'Once the armor has been fitted to its pilot, it responds to a combination of manually entered commands and neuromuscular feedback.' You flex your arm, the armor flexes its arm. You clench a fist, the armor clenches the corresponding fist. The hardest thing to learn is compensating for the armor's amplified strength. If you aren't careful, you can end up ripping someone's arm off instead of just restraining them. Katan couldn't help but share Otak's grin. Interesting idea, Lieutenant. I salute your inventiveness. I can't make any promises, but I'll run the idea by DeCallan and Commander James to see what they think. In the meantime... Why don't you prepare a report of the suit's specs and capabilities, as well as some hypothetical situations in which it would be deployed? Grinning, Otak gave an enthusiastic thumbs up. You got it, Commander. As Catan turned to head back to his office, his combat gave a quiet chirp. He tapped it, opening a channel. Katan here. It's Ensign King on bridge duty. Catan thought he could almost hear a mischievous smile in the woman's voice. I just thought you'd like to know, sir. The captain just returned to the ship, and he's brought some interesting company with him. And now
1: here's a post written by Hawkeye Meds, also read by Hawkeye Meds.
3: De Carlin pointed towards the far turbo lift, and the last of his security men obediently ran towards it. Putting his phaser into his holster, he tapped his comm badge. Bridge, all security personnel have been assigned to their designated areas. We have a secure ship for the time being. The out. Computer, locate Lieutenant Commander Katan. The soft voice of the computer informed the Cullen of Catan's movement, and he set off to find his friend. It didn't take him long to find the Klingon, deep in thought, walking towards his office. Hey, Katan, wait up. The Klingon turned, and he allowed a slight smile to appear. The Cullen ran up to him. Have you heard? Catan allowed the smile to broaden. Yes, the captain is back on the ship with a visitor. This I have to... The Cullen cut him off. No, mate, no. About Ryla. Katan's smile dropped. Of course I know. She lies on the slab. And De Cullen, once again cut him off, putting a hand on his shoulder. Katan, my friend, she is alive.
1: Now we have a joint post from Jen, Star Trek fanatic five, and Just X, and will be read by Jen.
0: The captain eyed the cooperative queen suspiciously from behind his desk. Her suggestion to destroy the Sphere at the cost of his crewmen had rubbed him the wrong way. He started to speak, but before he could respond to her recommendation, the Arabella shuddered violently. Quinn glanced to Savril and Eric as each stood and headed to the ready room door. "'Status, and King!' shouted Captain Quinn as they stepped onto the bridge. "'The Sphere has resumed its attack! Weapon systems are back online and functioning at 90 percent! Red Alert!' Savril firmly stated as Nathan ordered Tactical to return fire. Quinn and Savril took their respective seats as Eric claimed a position at the operations station. Arya rose from her chair within the ready room to see what aid she could offer, but paused in her tracks when Siren touched her hand. Psychic energy resonated between the two women and spilled outward to their parents on the bridge. Images flowed between the quartet as guarded secrets and forgotten lives were instantly revealed. Long-held omissions came to light. The life Eric led, that resulted in Arya, raced before his eyes with crystal clarity as Savril relived the life she never led within the span of a few heartbeats. Arya and Siren's own histories also played out before them. The choices that each girl had made in their lives were divulged. Choices that each of them completely disapproved of. Then, as quickly as it had started, the link between the four faded. Eric squeezed his hands so tightly that the nails almost drew blood. He quickly glanced at the commander, her back was to him, and she kept her face leveled on the viewer, but he could sense her confusion, and Eric knew without a doubt that she remembered the depths of their forgotten affiliation. Breaking free of the cooperative queen, Arya raced out of the observation room. Captain! Don't fire! Nivala's on that ship! Sevril turned in her chair to glance at the clone, then flicked her eyes back to the screen to stare in disbelief at the ominous Borg vessel. "'Cease fire!' ordered the captain. "'Aye, sir!' Nathan regarded his silent first officer as the red alert pulsed, intermittently drenching the bridge in a crimson light. Again, the Arabella was rocked as a volley from the Borg found its target. Then, without warning, the sphere slipped into the rift, an azure haze swallowing it whole before dissolving with the void. Commander Severell rose slowly and stepped towards the viewer. Her eyes darted on the screen, studying the vacancy that was once occupied by the cybernetic globe. Nathan watched, as Severell jogged up the ramp to the science station and commandeered the terminal. The young ensign who formerly manned the post moved away as the chief science officer keyed a frantic sequence into the panel. The rift is showing serious instability, Eric said as his mind processed what his daughter revealed. "'We have less than ten minutes before it collapses,' said Savril in a voice that barely contained her trepidation. The Vulcan turned expressive eyes to Captain Quinn as his telepathic mind brushed against her thoughts. "'I know you want to go after your son, Savril, but I fear what you will find will be devastating. Remember, his twin needs his mother, too.' Quinn could feel the struggle within her. After briefly contemplating the consequences of her departure, the commander slowly replied, "'Permission to pursue this fear?' Nathan sighed as he stood to address the svelte Vulcan. <sighs> Granted, he said with great reluctance. Savril wasted no time exiting the bridge. She strode with purpose into the turbo lift and turned to face the officers who watched her go. As the door swept close, she met Eric's eyes for the first time. Though her face showed no emotion, her eyes conveyed volumes. Before the lift spirited the commander to her destination, she saw him nod in understanding. He would care for Marin in her absence.
1: And for our last post this week, we have a post written by JustX and will be read by Moyer777.
4: Eric rubbed his arm where Sarian's injection tube had entered him. When his daughter decided to go after Naval, he had done what he needed. He had Rory prep the Aurora for an extended mission and then surrendered control to Arya. While she, Sarian, and Sarian's attendant finalized the preparations for departure, Eric made his way to the forward observation room. He needed to gather his thoughts before retrieving Beth and Marin. The captain and his eldest child had only been back aboard for a few minutes when the Borg fled with their crew and Naval. Arya was handling the situation well and did not hesitate to be there for her mother. As much as he wished to travel with them, his duties required them to stay on the Arabella. There was an entire ship of people depending on him, and he would not let them down. So many emotions raced through his head as the lift moved. He and Savril needed to have a very personal conversation, but circumstances and duty would keep that from happening until they returned. He and Sarian had much to discuss as well, but again, his needs would have to be set aside. Eric looked out at the shimmering rift and saw it for the first time, He could see the interactions of subspace that caused the rift and his daughter's hand at maintaining it. It was as if he had lived in a monochromatic and suddenly he could see color. Eric's mind reached out to the rift and the tears in the fabric of the universe that created it. He could see the threads attempting to repair themselves, even as Sarian's power disrupted it. She was failing in her attempts, but he saw how to help. Eric drew upon his nascent heritage and grasped at the threads. Blood trickled from his nose as he extended himself in ways that he had never dreamed of doing. Eric focused his thoughts on keeping the rift open and giving his family time to leave. "'James De Quinn, Eric said after tapping his communicator badge. "'I don't understand how I'm doing it, but I think I can extend the longevity of the rift.' I can buy the Aurora an additional half hour to get out of here. After that, they're on their own.
1: So that's going to do it for this week's The Ready Room. On behalf of Rick and Jen, this is Kenny, wishing you all happy holidays. And I almost forgot, hailing frequencies closed. All music on this podcast was performed by Rick Moyer, or his
0: royalty-free music. Also, I would like to thank Metrono 7 for the introduction music.